0: Halliday Podcast. Every fortnight we publish a talk from Eugene Halliday's collected works. These talks were recorded in Manchester and Liverpool, commencing in the late 1950s up until his death in 1987. This is episode 29, Existence of God. We've been asked by a number of people if we could talk about a possible proof of the existence of God. Because at this moment in history, church leaders seem to be very doubtful about it. They're doubtful about the virgin birth. they're doubtful about the resurrection, they're doubtful about the incarnation. And God is such an abstraction that nobody really attempts to prove existence. So we're going to put forward something that must be seen to be a proof of anything whatever that a human being wishes to prove. The word prove and probe have the same root. To prove is simply to probe, to investigate, to use with reason, P-R, by ratio, reason, now, probe, reason in the house. Now, we, human beings, are the house that has to be probed. We can't probe outside ourselves without probing inside. We have a, an external world. We believe we have because of our sense organs telling us about impressions received, And we have an internal world which is more or less correspondent with the external world. If it were totally non-correspondent, it would be utterly useless. Now, we have mentioned before that dualism is ultimately impossible. In case there are any babies or caterpillars new in the audience, we will go over this proof because it is absolutely basic. Dualism means two causes of reality, and the two are utterly alien. They have no points of correspondence, no ways of communication in a dualism. Now, one of the dualisms offered by certain thinkers is the dualism of mind and matter, or sometimes spirit and body. Mind means... Consciousness engaged in an evaluating process on that same basis. Man to count to evaluate. Body is the object of the counting. So the mind and the body are considered by dualists to be utterly alien to each other. Body is tangible, occupying space. Mind is intangible and does not occupy the same space as body in such dualism. And we want to go very carefully and slowly to see that an ultimate dualism is utterly impossible. A dualism in which two beings were utterly alien, with no points of correspondence, could not possibly interact. Can we see this? Are there any dissenters? to something until the alien with no points of correspondence could not interact. Now if we take the naive dualism mind and body, do our minds and bodies interact? They do. Because we can think about what we are doing. I wave my hand and I think I'm waving my hand. Then correspondence. But if there is correspondence, there cannot be an absolute, ultimate alienation of one from the other. There cannot be an ultimate difference, an ultimate lack of correspondences. So, if mind interacts with body, there cannot be an ultimate difference between them. Mind and body must be two aspects of one ultimate fact. How we agree about that? Would Peter like to complain about it. No? No, good. If Peter agrees, it's okay. He's our yardstick, our cubit, our Egyptian inch, where we test everything. Peter, of course, means a stone, and the stone in small is called calculus, and to count carefully is to be petrified. Then it should become very clear Take whatever that is and define it and cut it into the minutest bits and then to examine the qualities of all the bits. But if the bits can interrelate, they cannot be absolutely out of relation with each other. So if there are two primordial particles and they relate, those two cannot be ultimately different, so they are necessarily two Modalities or modifications or expressions of the primary fact behind both. Now, we're going to pass from that simple non-dualism to this question of God. How do we define God as infinitely powerful, wise, active? We say God is power, form, function. Power, that which pushes itself about, form, that which shapes itself, Function or activity, that which causes it to express itself in the actual world of phenomena. Power, form, function. As a mnemonic, you make the sign of power, the manual of power, you hold your little finger and ring finger down, and you hold the other three up, and on the thumb you place power, on the index finger form, on middle finger activation or function or actualization, power, form, function. When you make that sign, it's called the manual of power. This is to remind you of this fact. Now, you cannot have an absolute dualism. So, if power can interact with form, or the will with an idea, then they cannot ultimately be different. If the power and the idea can go into actuality, then actuality is not different from power form or formulated power. Now, when we define God, we define God in infinite terms. We say he is infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, infinitely active. We say he is omnipotent on your thumb, omniscient on your index finger, and omnipresently active on your middle finger. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Now, if he were not those three, he would not be worth calling God. If we had a little God with no power, but knew things and could do nothing about it, we'd say, that is not a God worthy of our respect. If we had a God that was actual, activating, and had no intelligence, and no will, we'd say, that's not a big God. If we had form with no power, and naturalization, no we would say, that is not a worthwhile God. So when human beings are talking about a God worthy of the respect of human beings, that God must have whatever the human being has, but raised to infinity. Now, what has man got? He has a certain amount of power, which he expresses in self-mobility, a certain amount of intelligence, which he expresses in rational arguments, in formal explanations of things. And he has a certain amount of actualization. He can do things. So man has, in finite degree, power, form, function, or will, idea, activation. Now, does man originate himself or does he appear in a world already opposite as power, as form, as function? Do we come into a world that is already actual or not? We, we know we do. Let's be very careful. We cannot have a dualism. Now, our power, our will, interacts with other worlds, of human beings, of animals, of plants, and so on. We all agree with that, don't we? Our power, our will, can interact with other will. And the dualism is disallowed, impossible. So if we define God as the will power which is infinite, which we call omnipotent, then we have to say that because the will can interact, the will of man and the will of that which we call God must be able to interact. And if man has a formulative capacity that we call reason or logos, then that reason must be correspondent in essence and not different from and not alienated from the same formative power in the infinite. And if man is able to actualize himself in any way whatever, then his actualization possibility must interrelate with the actualization possibility of that power which produce the universe. So in these three, we must say that we have correspondence with that which we worship as God. The word worship means worth shape. And the human being is so constituted that he has designed for himself the concept of a God. So that many skeptics say, well, God is just the idea that a man has. Of an omnipotent superior being, a superman with super intelligence and super activation power. Well, let's examine this one. Everything that man has is derivative. Every man or woman born, born of woman, is derivative. He derives from the ovum of the mother, the sperm of the father, And the environment of the body, the recipient body of the mother, everything he does, everything he thinks, everything he wills, is derivative. Now, let's hold this. Dualism is impossible, and our derivative nature means that we are part of that infinite power, infinite form, infinite activation. We cannot be other than derivative. Dualism is impossible, and therefore that from which we are derivative and ourselves cannot ultimately be different. Now let's have a little light on the dark subject. Let the light that you see on the screen stand for consciousness. Light has always been in every major religion, every major philosophy, a symbol of consciousness, the power whereby we can see what is, see form, see form function, see evidences everywhere that there is power formally functioning. And that whereby we know this is called consciousness. The light represents consciousness. Would you like to have the phonetics of right to show that it is so? All right, we'll put it down. L. Our L means to labor, to work. In the Hebrew, it's means an ox goad, a provocation to activity. I means the individuation. I, the individuation, the yod, the Jot that Jesus talks about, that shall not pass away Till all is fulfilled. The individuation fact: Each one of us is an individual. Each one of us is unique. Even twins, even so-called identical twins, differ in characteristics. They come out of the same age. They are nurtured in the same womb. They come out and they are manifestly different individuals. One is born before the other. And it's characterized by that fact for the rest of its life. One was above and the other below. One was on the left, the other on the right, in that womb. Everything about it is uniquely characterized. And the letter I signifies precisely that. Originally, that I, a line, was a little dark. And because of impurities in the paper, or the papyrus on which he recorded this, it was decided that wherever we had a dot it might be a little dropping of a fly or it might be an impurity in the paper. We'd better put a line under it to show that it was a dot. And that is why we said and some Greek scholars have said the Greeks are very intelligent they don't dot their eyes they put the eye without the dot. Now they've got it upside down. The dot is the eye and this straight line is indicated of the dot. To show that is a dot on a piece of paper and not an impurity in the paper. Now, the hard letter G, gamma, the gimbal of the eagle, that hard letter G means compaction. It means condensation. It means power driving into its center to make itself solid. So when I've written the word lig, I've written the word which you all recognize, as a basic of the word ligature and religion binding. I stimulate an individual to condense, lig. Now, if I say, the hard G represents, originally, before lazy people existed, a letter that had to be pronounced. So, in the old days they would say lig for that, in English, when we see followed by H and T, we drop it. Why? Because it's a difficult letter to pronounce. You have to block your mouth at the back with the raised-up tongue in a G. Isn't it difficult to say G? Wouldn't it be more economic if we said, well, I don't bother to say it. Just write it. Knownling is another word for I, isn't it? In certain dialect, that he's a terrible Yeah, You know that one? Does nobody know that Liga means liar? and That's an old English base. What's the word in German for lying? It's in Germany now. Abel? Isn't it the same word, disguised a little bit? Nies. A liar is anybody who ties up or binds an individual into a compact state. Later we will see that that is the only sin to separate by condensation the consciousness from the infinite light or consciousness of the absolute. There is only one sin to identify with finitude. You put an H here and that's an aspirate. And we will treat this as one sound, namely a hard gamma with a, an aspirate on it. <laughs> so we used to say one upon time, <laughs> and it was a bit difficult. So we said, Well, drop this sound. It's a hard sound to make. We will then put a T there and that T signifies the crossing or crucifixion of the forces which have involved themselves in that compact zone there. Now if we change this IGH into the German ICH what does that mean, Abel? If I the principle of individuation i would. if we then put the L back and the T back we've written the German word for like Licht. Or consciousness. We cannot have consciousness without it, Without this impedance of the field by itself, self-convention. There is a word that means I in modern German. And there is a word that means I in old English Germanic root. That is right. That is consciousness. Now, we know that our bodies are derivative, don't we, from mothers and fathers. And we know that they are all derivative backwards from their mothers and fathers and so on. And they were derivative from the primordial powers that condense our gamma as the earth, that the forces of infinite power-form function condense to make the star system the planetary system, the earth, on which we live, we are derivative. So where do we derive? The answer is we derive from the infinite power which produced the stars, which produced the planetary system, which produced the planet, one of which is the earth on which we live. We are derivative at every level on power, power, form, function. Now the infinite power, form, function is the one we call God, and we call it God because God is good, good is God, In the demon, God is good, and good, God, good is God. See, that's the same expression. Now we are derivative. In our power, that is our will, in our form, that is our intellect, In our function, that is our actualization capacity. And we cannot be dualistic, so we have to say that ourselves and our derivatives and our sources are all ultimately non-dualistic. We are functions or modalities of that supreme infinite power that we call God. That's why one of the apostles said, I am persuaded. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. We cannot be separated from our source. Judaism is impossible, and because we are derivative, we are derivatives of an absolute power form function. A supreme will and its power, a supreme all knowingness, which man manages intellect, and self actualization. And when we remember our derivative nature and thoroughly understand that we are derivative from that power, that intelligence, that actualization that created the system of the stars, the solar system, of the planet, and our earth, and all the life forms, vegetable, animal, human, upon the earth. We cannot disbelieve in our derivative nature. We cannot disbelieve that there is that from which we derive. And we cannot help disbelieving in an ultimate dualism. Therefore we are, each one of us, sitting on our own chair an impression, a pressing in, an impression, an impressing of that infinite original power from which we derive. Now this is why Jesus says it is not written. Ye are God. God is defined as a self-volitional, self-determinant, self-knowing, self-actualizing being. Any being that is actually self-knowing, self-determinant, is by definition a God. And the supreme infinite, from which all those little gods derive, is called the God. In the Gospel of John it has Hothdale. The God. Not just a God. The God. The God of God now we are all little gods let's say we have a will we have intelligence we have actualization of our being and that constitutes our divinity are there any non-gods are there any bipeds walking about who are not gods well the answer is actually yes how so because of this fact when two beings meet like that, there is a zone of contingent that means we touch, stimulation, subset. set The stimulus of either can obscure the state of the other. Supposing this one is uniquely A, and that one is uniquely B, but well then where they meet, the A tends to impose on the B, and the B to impose on the A, and they tend to do what we call identifying. The A identifies with the stimulus from B and forgets that it is A. The B identifies with the stimulus from A and forgets that it is B. Now we are only actual gods if we remember that we are willed, self-determined, intelligent, self-activated. If we forget that and let somebody else by contingent stimulus, by tap, stimulate us and drag us, Outside our skin, we lose in act our divinity. We become enslaved by the contingent stimulus. And that is called the four. The four is a four into contingency. Now let's remember that the light represents consciousness. What do these circles represent? They represent zones of perception, zones of interest. We're all interested in something, and that something could either be our own self or other than ourself. Now if we're interested in ourself truly, then a being, self-interested would turn its energies into itself like that. All its energies would go in like that. That would be an entirely self-interested being. That's one kind of interest. The other kind is the interest in other beings through two-way contingent stimulation. The interest in two-way contingent stimulation is very dangerous because it can cause A to forget A and think itself B. You saw that when princes die, emerge in the public eye with her hand done like this, and immediately millions of women rushed to their hair and came out like this. And that was identification. We call it a manifestation of stupidity. Why did they all rush off and do their hair in that way? Because unconsciously, that means not in full awareness, they all thought, if I get my hair done like that already, I could have married Prince Charles." Do you believe it? It's true. Somebody with exceptionally bad taste in the royal family can go out and have a dress designed for them by a semi-idiot, put it on, appear in public, and immediately passion is created. Why? Because of the unconscious mental processes whereby, through contingent stimulus, an ordinary person suddenly thinks, my word, if I'd have felt it at first, I could have been a princess. Do you believe it? Do you feel ashamed of it when you think of the danger? You might think, all I have to do is wear this, or that, and I can change my social status. I can move up from scrubber to prince. (laughs) Do you believe it? It happens every day, and billions of pounds are spent in advertising to reinforce it. So that's one terrible danger, the danger of identification with the alien. The opposite danger is this, that in self turning inwards, it is possible to forget that there is anything other than this zone which turns in on itself and doesn't want to know that there are other zones in the infinite. And this we call the demonic. It turns in upon itself the needs for division and the M is for counting. It divides itself from the rest of reality and turns in upon itself and it is then demonic. It doesn't want to know about anything except itself, internal to itself, no other being and no infinite light, no Godhead, no supreme infinite intelligence, just myself, locked in myself. The extreme form of that is called solipsism, where a person believes that he and he alone exist, and the rest of you are figments of his imagination. One evening a fellow brought a girl with him here and introduced it to me as a solipsist. I put my hand out and shook hands and said, oh, that's good, so am I. Well, I couldn't be too could it. So she never came again. On one occasion, another fellow at the university boasted he was a solipsist. That meant we were all figments of his imagination. So I tapped him on the shin bone with my foot. And he said, what do you do that for? I said, not the faintest idea. Why don't you control your figments better? <laughs> so we have two terrible dangers. The danger of identifying with the princess-dye's hairdo. Mm -hmm. And the danger of total self-involvement. The demonic isolated in a world of one's own. You see an approximation to this in the autistic child. You know, maybe you've seen an autistic child, have you? Totally involved. Usually they're in the hospital. And they don't come out. They don't respond. They're locked from whatever causes, in their own mental processes. Now remember, dualism is impossible. Every power we have of will, of thought, of action is derivative. And being derivative can interact with that from which it derives. That from which it derives is infinite power, infinite form, infinite function, and that is God. And therefore we, human beings, can interact with God. And we have two dangers. One contingency. We meet an atheist. An atheist said to me on one occasion, I'm an atheist. I said, what does that mean? He said, there is no God. And I said, what is that which there is not? Can you explain to me what it is that is not? And he became a bit confused. Would you try to explain to me that which is not? And it's something I don't believe in. What is it? It's God. What's God? That in which I do not believe. But in you not believing in it, you've objectified it. It's become a thing. What are the qualities of this thing? Well, um, omnipotence, omniscient, summary present. I don't believe in it. <laughs> well, do you believe that your eye, looking out, millions of light years away can see a star? Oh yes, I've seen one of those then your awareness field must at least be as big as that sphere which includes the stars that you can see. And can you see beyond that star into the darkness? Are you aware of the darkness beyond the stars? Is that darkness not already inside your consciousness as darkness? Well, that's only a concept. Only a concept. The word concept means to capture, come, set from word means capture. That which you capture together is the concept. Well, do you not capture darkness? Have you not been unconscious? Have you ever had a general anesthetic or a thump on the head? It's made you forget who you are for the moment. Do you not go to bed at night and go to sleep? And sometimes when you're asleep, you do not dream. You're in a dreamless sleep. But when you wake up in the morning, do you not know that you had a good night or a bad night? Everybody knows whether they had a good night or a bad night. Now that means that whatever it is that's awake during the daytime, when he goes to sleep, he still mysteriously there. It only a certain change in its function, said form. In function, the way its power behaves. And it becomes itself again. How dare we go to sleep and have a terrible courage? Why aren't we afraid that tomorrow we wake up a dragon or a lizard or a butterfly? Isn't that a dreadful real danger? Every night when I go to sleep I put my head on a cushion and think, supposing I wake up in the morning and I'm a girl. Perhaps I'd better hang on to my concept. I said to a boy yesterday, he said he had no identity. Are you a boy or a girl? He said, I'm a man. You don't want to be a boy. I'm a man. Okay, very good, he's a man. Had he not identified himself with the concept man at that moment? Now man is an interesting word. Let's have a bit of man word. M means something. Now there is no substance other than the light of consciousness. Substantia, that which is standing underneath all that we know is an infinite field of powerful conscious activity. That is the meaning of the M. But when we pronounce M, we close our lips, don't we? And it's our attention. When you try to say M with an open mouth for me? Probably managing it, huh? Oh, what a terrible limitation. Well, if we do manage it, we say, mm, we have closed ourselves. How do we close ourselves? The answer is, we take any zone, whatever it's right, and we surround it with a definition, and if we circumscribe it with words, we say, this is the zone in my operation. Z1. The zealous unification but my intent to be a being. And I'm going to close my lips. You know when you say, "Mm -hmm," like like bees humming, you're really thinking honey to yourself. I'm my honey. Rosie, you are my posy. And you're thinking of yourself, and you're yum, yum, yum. The word yum means affirmation of something. The substance is you. It's your very own being. The substance of God is God. His very own being. What he is, is light infinite. Power infinite. Activity infinite. What we are is power, form, activity. Relatively limited, but only by one thing. Our identification. The atheists certainly prefer not to be God. Can you tell me why an atheist doesn't want to be God? He doesn't want the responsibility of having to be kind to his mother-in-law. Does he? Or perhaps even to his wife. If we are God, have we not the imperative, the moral, the ethical duty to take care of our creatures which we make? Can we dodge responsibility for the things we create? No. So, to be a God is to be responsible. Who likes it? Answer. Not capitalists. Not materialists. Not those people that hate ethical responsibility. And we are all power, form, function, a will, an intellect, and self-activation capacity. And we create things. When we create, we are under the duty of taking care of what we create. If you doodle on a napkin in a restaurant, do you serve the doodle away? Carelessly? Have you no consideration for the doodle? You say, bah, I'm a doodle. On the foot. Down with doodles. Or do you seek it and think, mm, my doodle, rather good day. I know a man came to see me one day, and he's down a doodle I know you to do more. He's a very worried businessman. He went like this. And I want you to interpret this for me. He said, I'm telling you, sorry, I can't stop doing this. <laughs> and I feel absolutely awful. So I said, how do you feel now? Is it a bit better? The doodle is an expression of his internal process. Now would you believe that doodle and deodor means God? You know that doodle is actually. Bagpipe. I'm drawing you a bagpipe. <laughs> you care which way up it is. Here's a bang. Yeah, is that is a bag. Not bad, is it? it's bad. What does Judasak mean in German, I Yeah, and what is it a symbol of in Germanic art? In K. It's a sign of sensual basic rudibi. Looks a bit like it too. Now, in Egypt they said, well, we want something to stuff it. We've got the Kuksan Sata, the symbol of life. Why do we put that crossbar on it? Well, if you're not careful, this pipe will vanish in the sack. Do you know that the appetite of women is infinite and the capacity to satisfy it by men is finite? Mm. So we need a stopper. What? <laughs> <laughs> so that crook's and That coops The crook's of the matter. That word belongs down there. And this is An Sata, the handle. Now what is the handle? An means snake and sata means being. Shift the end to the end, Satam. Is it not through womankind that we come into birth? If it were not that there are women to which come to birth, wouldn't we have to wander in infinity like spirits with no own? Can you see it? Unless we gain finite birth in bodies, we are vapors. We are wandering spirits in infinity. So coming to be born is very important for that process of identification which we as humans value so much. Remember the light is our consciousness Anything we draw upon this sheet is a content. That means withholding. We hold our consciousness to a point. Here is one by Pythagoras. How many points? One. Spelt with three letters. Whether we say one, or ein, or In or uno, We spell one with three letters. Why? Because one is power, one is form, one is function. We cannot have a one that is not a triplicity. So, in ancient Egypt, where Pythagoras spent 22 years studying, like Moses did in the same place, and Jesus did in the same place, and Plato and all kinds of Greek thinkers went there to the holidays, like Butler's camp, to learn deep things, Go high, dear, high. One get two. That means when you look at the one, you see immediately two. Why? Because the one is finite and confined to a point, and the other one is the infinite light, whole consciousness, beyond it. Already there's two. But so we want to represent the infinite one beyond, finitely, so we say, okay, one of them is the point, and the other represents the consciousness beyond the point. One we get two, and two we get three. How? Because when we have one, you'd polarize, that's two, that's the trinity. And the two halves, the one here precipitate, and the one non-precipitate, infinite, beyond, have a relation, so we have three. That that are related. And three begets four. Why four? Well, there is a one, there is a two, there is a three, and there is a four. Four has always meant consolidation in the earth. As we get two forces opposing each other, And two at right angles to those and it makes solidity. Four has been the number of the earth. The number of solidity. In Kabbalah, the fourth shephira is solid God. He said, compassion, mercy, Jupiter. Jupiter is Jupiter. Dio Pate. God the Father. The first three dimensional God. So, I would say, we say, one, we get two, we get three, we get everything. Now, in counting, Pythagoras would say, please count for me this symbol. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You say, no. Count this way. One plus two equals three. And this three plus the original one, of which those two are polarizations, makes four, which is the solid. And we now put them together. Here is the floor, which is the earth, and resting upon it are two columns, Boaz, Yachim, and a triangular roof on the top, and the symbol of the primordial duck. Now you can find this diagram on Gnostic gems of the second century, and it represents Solomon's temple. Why? The name of one column means strength, the mere, and the other, to establish. Both together, stability. Primordial idea, representative of power, form, function, the duality springing out of each opposing forces, because every force, its property, deposes its origin and any subsequent force. And then, the gross establishment, on which all stands. Now we've got to see that earth as the centre on which we live, like that, and we've got to see the poles, like that, and we've got to see the triangle like that in which they are and we can see immediately that this dot here represents this dot and the earth. Our earthly body is the compaction of our spirit. Compacted spirit is physical body. Just as our bodies are uniquely chemically different, so our spirit is rationally different. And that symbol is very, very simple. It's said to be a drawing of Solomon's temple. Now you remember that we have four levels of meaning. Literal level, allegorical level, homiletic, and mystical. Now, as far as this drawing would be concerned, literally, it would be a structure made like that. And it find a piece of rock, flatten the top, put a couple of columns on it, put a triangle off, put a middle roof on it, and put the sign of the sun on the facade. And it really existed like that in ancient Greece, the basis of Greek architecture. And it really existed like that in Egypt, Babylonia. In India, in China, they built it this way. And it was a physical fact. But when the priests who designed it looked at it, did they think it meant a physical fact only? Or did they think it meant an allegory? Allegory means other reading. This is the earth on which we stand. These two columns are one my right hand of power, one my left arm of canning, are well, beings of power and cunning of will and intellect. The triangle represents that which synthesizes our power form function. And the little solar globe there represents our primary initiative. We now got an allegory. Are we satisfied? Well, we want to make a fraternity of Freemasons, of people who all believe they derive from one another. They are sons of primal Ma, Ma-sons. And the woman of which they all divide means universal substance. And now we're going to make a homily out of it. You are all people. Amazing, isn't it? You all stand on the earth, And you all have power and intelligence. And this is the homily part. I call upon you, fellow sons of the Eternal Mother, to cooperate and triangle, to unify and have initiative and make a wonderful cooperative society. That's homily. Homily is that which you address to a mass of people that ten, if you're not careful to take things literally, or misunderstand the allegory, so you're going to tell them all this means be kind to each other. Use your initiative to unify your three-part powerful function, head, heart, and tongue. Remember you've got strength in your right arm and cunning in your left arm. And use your strength to defend each other and your cunning to get each other out of mischief. Cunning means educate. filled with ideas. That's harmony. I remember when we entered the European market. One bright politician stood up and said, the British people have expressed their desire and will to enter the common market. How did he know that? Wasn't it just harmony? The British people won't get a good cup, did we? Hmm, you must have been in the pub that night. You don't remember doing it, but he it says with great conviction, that's how many times to spare time and connect to make family remarks like that. That's how many. Now the mystical meaning. Mystical meaning. Now that comes from a word meaning to keep your mouth shut. Keep a secret. Don't tell anybody. Mystical meaning is this. These ten points are the same ten points that occur in the tree of life in the Kabbalah. Appearing as ten spheres of being, or zones of influence, or levels of consciousness. And this represents our physicality, and these two columns represent our willpower and our cunning, our intelligence. And this triangle represents our ability to coordinate our thinking and feeling and willing. And that doubt represents our power of initiative which proves that we are divine. Suddenly this temple of Solomon means divinity. We are all divine beings. What does divine mean? Well, yeah, that's the word meaning God. Because in the Germano hindu language Sanskrit means God. It means the same thing through the Greek, and it's reduced to a J-U. Notice that D occurs D, D-U When you say i I'm going saying D-U, quickly. D-U yeah. That occurs also in the Greek, but right? D-U, that's D-U that means, who put us here? Yeah, And this means, I move threefold light. I'm divine, if I can divine what corresponds with my will, my intellect, and my power of self-activation. I'm divine, if I can do those three things. And if I can do them with a small way, well, I'm a little divinity. If I can do them infinitely, I'm a very big divinity. Now all yoga systems aim at making that individual point which comes from infinity like that, turns round. that's the number six, which is the number of individuation and the number of the sum in pre-Christian religions. Why? Because we can divide it with the compass into six parts. Six. Existence. The word existence means six holes. Out of six. It turns around and it has five senses in a common sense. It's so six years. And when it does that, it has brought itself into eight systems. You know the X is only a chair. E systems. And that's six. This means crucifixion, and this means essence. The essence of crucified sixness, that's sort a of wheel, that's called the wheel of being, the wheel of existence. We exist in so far as we stand visibly, tangibly present in the middle of the infinite field. The infinite field has no edges no circumscribing boundaries and this being here has a circumscribing boundary whereby we know it exists. So we can say that when we think about God as a system, we are thinking about that power which captures itself. That little diagram is inside a bigger diagram like this that we call the universe. And every one of us is a little one of these. And within each one of these it's a more little one. Can you see that one? It's very much like an eye. island. Suppose we take the Egyptian form of that and we we'll go like this. Do you think that's the same diagram? It is. And to remind you that you're coming they care that for itself. And to remind you that you have direct power they do that. And there's your it's it an eye of horrors of hierarchical power. You are hierarchical, that means you know that the difference of power. A non-active, non-thinking, impulsive being wastes itself. You know that a, a being that can't think is not formally clear. And you know that a being that can't feel doesn't get the value of what it's thinking or doing. Now this eye tells you, there is a winding, a turning, a, a positive, a point of initiative. The name of that initiative is pool, which means power, driving, plus pill, which means pyro or reason. pupil. that dark center of your eye, means powerful reasoner. Now would you believe that when your eye was evolved, it actually grew out like this, in the brain, went like this. It actually grew like that. It gripped itself like that, and that's a section to it. There's your retina, and there's that little end, which is grass. This has come to has captured together a world of perception. Can you feel in your own eye when you look out with intent to be interested? that you're really a willful being? I look at you. You look at look. I look at something valuable. If I see nothing I lose interest. If I see something I want it, Essentially the pupil is appetidal. Now the iris means rainbow, doesn't it? That's your retina there, thrown forwards, and you got colored pieces like this. There is your pupil, left in the circle. Here is your iris. All the colors which means powers in the pupil or precipitate center of power, reason, Split and make a rainbow. The light goes through that pupil because the pupil is paying attention and dragging the light in. See, when you look at somebody, you eat them. You believe that. You actually start eating people. Every time you see something worth eating, And selectiously, spiritually principled. And that's why it's very dangerous to be admired. You could find yourself very weak through the admiration of other people. They're draining energy from you by their imagination. Do you like that? Everybody a vampire. (laughs) Funny, Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. He defended my father. And in private he said, I really believe in vampires. You know? They're not freaks. Then he says we're surrounded by them. But we also are vampires. He knew that this power to go through the teepee and look at people is a method of capturing their interest. When you capture their interest, their interest flows out as energy towards you. (laughs) Who cares about midnight movies in the presence of that fact? Mm. Now, have we understood dualism is impossible? We are all derivative, and our derivations have given us power of will, intellectual ideation, self-activation, and they're derivative. That from which they are derivative in its infinity we call God. Therefore we are all children of God. The ch in child means chop, separate. Chop, work, divide. That's the meaning of child. Just like baby means still having to be cuddled, child means chopping off from the parents. I want my own way already. Youth means I behave like God. The mature means I've been utterly conditioned by the law. Do we consider this as sufficient proof of God? Have we not probed Our derivative will, intellect, self-activation, sufficiently to know that we are derivative from an infinite power of infinite intelligence, of infinite self-activation, and that we have participated. We've got it. But we'll have more of it the more we realize our derivation from this infinite power. We grow in divinity as we absorb this fact. What is doubt? Doubleness. D-O-U-B, doubt and double is the same. It means your house divided. See? House B, D, division. Divine, drive the house into bits. If the sun and moon should doubt, they'd immediately go out. If you doubt your divine origin, you weaken yourself. So all atheists are weaker than true understanders of divinity. What would you like to be? A weakling or a strong being? What would you like to be? Intelligent or stupid? What would you like to be? A creature of creative initiative or one entirely dependent on external stimulus? Now if you choose the positive, you are claiming the divinity which is right in yours. You're true to yourself if you complete it infinite perspective. But if you stop halfway and wonder whether it's true, it is you doubting you, deceiving, deceiving means two catches. I'm not a god. I'm a miserable, finite creature. Then you doubt. Then you lose your infinite perspective. Wider. Yes. What was the question of the middle of the sphinx? What is it that goes on four legs in the morning, on two legs in the afternoon, three legs in the evening? You remember? Wasn't that the middle of the sphinx to be sold? by Ediput. No, Ediput means swollen foot or palace or drive. Individual dies. And what is it that goes on four, two, and three? So they're very they very telling they said, oh well, we'll fool the people with this one. And say, a baby goes on four legs when it's little. When it gets a bit bigger, it's turned on two legs. And when it's an old man, it needs a stick. Well, that was the harmony. <laughs> the reality is the baby is a materialist. You wants to collect everything. Four. It's a number of tangibility. When it gets to be told, it goes on to two. Two means analysis, division. And three doesn't mean meaning untracked, it means synthesis. So first an external, tangible, seeking, grasping, materialist like every baby. The other babies can support themselves on a stick within an hour of being born, taken out of their mothers, they have such tenacity of grip they can hang on. You look at little baby monkeys and their mothers are jumping about the tree. Who's doing the hanging on? The baby. The baby has this terrible tenacity holding power so thereby it doesn't get separated from that which is going to nourish it. okay yes? Isn't that lovely? Four, two, three. You have those, how I like business and then <laughs> You're right for a good bargain, you know. Because if you keep going up one step, you better to hit the right number eventually, aren't you? What is the ninth letter of the Hindu alphabet? Any of us? And what does he mean? Serpent, the worm that dies not, infinite, appetitive power, intelligent self-activation. Okay. You know, number nine is called the number of the magician. Why? Because when you do an operation with nine, mathematically, you add them up; they always add up to nine, don't they? One nine two nine three nine eight one nine three nine seven seven two nine. It was right up. eighty one, eight one nine all all come back to this primordial, powerful, appetitive, intelligent drive. That's all you think. You there's something but A baseline. This is a serpent lying down, pretending to be a rod a book, which the serpent is reading and an intelligent serpent is studying the book. <laughs> if you did it very simply, you might go like this. you say, that's the serpent in an act, it's so study. And does the word nine mean? Can I have nine, 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 yes, no. Nine. Negation of one. And denial of unity. Nine. Why do we deny unity? We don't want to be crudely, rigidly monistic. We want to be non-dual, not rigidly monistic. All the arguments in religion are caused by somebody trying to be monistic and defining everybody else's religion as wrong. Whereas in non-dualism, they're all right. The man that leaves his own religion for the religion of another has understood that his own religion or the one he changes to, these all religions are varied expressions of one supreme religion, sentient power, form. Self-activation, that is, the truth behind all religions and all philosophy. And it's represented in that little sign. Now, this little drawing shows you an ivy headed fellow with a beat. His name is Tulton-Each, which is a form of Egyptian Tehute which in our day is called technology. Know how. Isn't the whole pursuit of knowledge, of wisdom, a pursuit of know how? Could it be anything else? No. In order to know how you must examine your own being, your own thought, your own feeling your own will, your own body. And you must incarnate all this. And when you incarnate it, you catch yourself by the tail and turn yourself into that magical serpent who has established himself by his own reflexive act. He bites his tail, the message goes around, somebody has bitten me myself or somebody else. If I think it was somebody else I might back in an act of revenge. If I know that I created the condition when I got bitten, I don't bite back. So the law, don't revenge yourself, but meditate on it. how did I get in the position where this other person could bite me? It's my own stupidity. It makes it possible for another person to injure me. But am I doing that at the time of injury? Why am I there? Yes. What am I? Where am I? When am I? Yes. Why? Who am I? And how did I get into it? Yes. Five Ws and an H. Always go through. What am I? Where am I? Remember, wherever I am, I put myself there, either deliberately or uncomfortably, or by accepting an invitation. When am I? Hmm? Why am I? Who am I? A volitional being. How am I? By what manner do I become myself? The answer is by self-precipitation. Nobody is responsible for anything that happens to us. We and we alone are responsible, each one of us individually, for everything that happens to us. We stop cursing the other people because we put ourselves in a position where they could operate upon us. Do we like that? Or does it make us a bit nervous? Was i really so stupid, Okay. Yes. Should I remain so stupid? Well, I might get more experiences if I do. That's called the secret of the Taro fool. He behaves like a fool, and he gets wised up. If ever he thought, I've been foolish enough, I will stop. At that moment he stopped self-education. So we rest on that mystical drawing of Tefruti. Modern technology is nothing but the expression of the intelligence of that divinity called Tefruti. So it's that mysterious ninth letter symbol, which is said to be a snake. It's a funny kind of snake, because you know, in the evolution have seen birds it evolves from reptiles. The bird is a fine snake. Getting some Egyptian pictures like this. It's a flying snake. It's a wings. wing. and korathel, the serpent that flies in the night. We are all that. As to the wings, it means our intellect, thing in the air. As to the rigor here. Means sensuality, appetite. The volitional pursuit of that which will make us happier than we were. Counting. Yes. Well, man, of course, ma, substance, activated. That's ma, the principle of motherhood, plus n, which is short pronounced, intelligence, and through this intelligence, you control the appetite. So, somebody was not called a man in the ancient world unless he had escaped the state to control of his mother. If he remained under the mother's thumb, he was not called man. No. In the Pacific, you put an A on it, Mama. Now, means serpent, and that means appetite. Mama means magical power. Power by, you are able to numb or name to yourself your functions in every aspect. Human means hierarchical man. H means hierarchy. U means driving power. A man is simply a big account by negating it after. A human is one that sets up a hierarchy a power drive. So we need a little with tech Thank you for listening to the Eugene Halliday podcast. Please subscribe to receive notifications of future episodes.